0: Ages three through kindergarten, if we have any. You've got mine, so I apologize. <laughs> That's like a day off for y'all. Uh, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 7. This morning, Luke chapter 7. Uh, and I'll tell you two things as you're turning there. Uh, first off... Uh, I need to apologize. Uh, Got off notes a little bit last week, let a word slip that I probably shouldn't have let slip from the pulpit, and so I'm sorry for that. Uh, Personnel committee has already fined me, and uh, it won't happen again. Uh, That's why I have notes. I can get a little little worked up. Uh, The second thing is, is to let you guys know, many of you probably already do know, but Ruth Ann Jones passed away uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, if you don 't know Ruth Ann Ruth Ann is the sweet little lady that used to sit right back here in this cubby. She had her own personal heater uh, she had it good back there okay um, and so she uh, she passed away her uh, her service will be tomorrow at eleven o 'clock at Holt cemetery uh, and so uh, I do believe uh if you would like to attend the family would appreciate that uh if you didn't know Ruth Ann, she was something else. She wrote her own obituary, so I encourage you to go to Boxwell Brothers and read it. Uh, and it's so good, it has footnotes. Yes, she has four footnotes in there. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. Uh, she and I had a funny relationship because she she it drove her crazy how I dressed. And uh, I'll never forget sitting back there one day talking to her, and she just kind of looked me up and down real good and went, Mighty casual today, aren't we? (laughs) And uh, I blame the deacons. I said, Well, the deacons told me to dress this way. And so that's how I wiggled out of that one. Uh, And then one Sunday, I had preached on Mother's Day, and it wasn't my fault. It's just when you preach verse by verse, you you just preach what the text gives you. And it was Mother's Day, and we preached out of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 about how women shouldn't be pastors on Mother's Day. And uh, if you remember, I was really hard on men, and I lifted women up. It was a good sermon. And she met me down here afterwards and told me that next year I needed to preach a proper Mother's Day sermon. (laughs) And I was wearing a coat that morning, a a nice coat, and Tim Harper said, well, Ruthann, he said a lot of nice things about women and moms, and she just kind of looked at me for a second and then went, you look good in your jacket, and then she just walked off so, I loved her. She was good to me and my family and, and always asked about Lucy. Uh, Carol, she was organist 30 plus years probably, right? She was, she was the long-term organist at this church, probably 40 plus years. Uh, and so anyway, sweet lady, she's going to be missed. She's tough. Uh, I think she's 95, 96 and fought COVID for like 10 days, uh, had pneumonia. Uh, and uh, Her daughter would text me every day and be like, man, she's still going. She's still going. So uh, anyways, Uh, Luke chapter 7. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 7 says this. It says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your word. Father, thank you uh, for what it shows us. Um, and, and I pray that as we kind of get ready for a new year, uh, that, Father, even though it's a new year, our Savior's still the same, and we all are still uh, in desperate need of the gospel. And so, Father, help us to see today that uh, it's not what we do that makes us worthy. It's what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 7 uh, is, is a great chapter in the book of Luke. Um, it comes right off the heels of Jesus preaching uh, the sermon on the plain to, to all these people who have come out to listen to him. And, and he closes Luke chapter 6 by talking about building our house on the rock and not on the sand. And then we come to chapter 7. And chapter 7 is all about faith and, and particularly how faith comes into our lives. And there's 50 verses in the chapter And the common theme that we see in chapter 7 is that it does not matter who you are or where you come from. Faith is the key to salvation. Faith is the key to healing. And so we meet four people in the book of Luke, in all four, or chapter 7, and all four of them come from different walks of life. They come from different income statuses. They come from uh, different just positions in the economy. And all of them find out that their need um, is not found in themselves or, or the way that they're saved is not found in them but is found in Jesus. So have you ever met somebody who thought that they deserve something just because they, they were good, or or somebody who thought they deserved something, just because of uh, who their family is. Has anybody ever met somebody like that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> when when I was in Plains, uh, there was this kid, and he was a long term townie, and his family thought they were really you know important because they could trace their lineage back to like you know fifteen generations of people from Plains, and um, I never forget getting on to this kid one day. Uh, and a kid was a pain. I, I couldn't stand a kid, honestly. And uh, I'll never forget him getting in my face, and he looked at me, and he goes, Do you know who my dad is? And I'm thinking, I don't really care who your dad is, right? But he thought, because of who his dad is, right, and who his status was in the community, that somehow, some way, he deserved me to be nicer to him or to treat him better, even though he was being a royal pain in the backside, Right? In Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, we meet a man who needs Jesus' help. And what's crazy is that the people think he he deserves to have Jesus' help because he's worthy. But what we see is that the man himself has a different idea. So look with me, if you will, in verses 1 through 3. It says, after he finished all these sayings, right, the the sermon on the plain, in the hearing of all these people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death and who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and to heal his servant. So as he comes back into this town, he meets this centurion, and and a centurion uh, was just a Roman captain in the army, and he was in command of 100 soldiers. And so this particular centurion, it says, has a servant that that he loved, right? The the words uh, in the text say that he was highly valued, which means that he honored this servant. So it didn't mean that he didn't, he didn't just see this servant as he's the help, right, and, and that's just kind of how we treat him, is that no, this servant was a part of the family. He loved this servant. He cared for him. It was like his own son. And, and this servant is sick. And so the centurion hears that Jesus has come back into town, and he does something amazing. He asks the Jewish elders to go and get Jesus. If you've grown up in church, you you know that that was a big deal because the Jewish elders, the religious leaders, the fact that they're happy to help him was kind of crazy. The Jewish elders, the, the, the religious leaders, they hated the Romans. They did not like this conquering army who was ruling over them. But more than anything else, the Jewish elders, they hated Jesus, So the fact that this man says, hey, would you please go and get Jesus for me shows you the kind of respect that this man had with the people, that these leaders were willing to not only go get the Romans, but to go and get Jesus himself, right? So they're not helping Romans. They're definitely not going to help Jesus, but because of who this man is, they go and they get Jesus. And in verse 4, they find him, and look what it says. It says, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. So now you see why they love this man so much. They run up to Jesus, and they're like, listen, this guy's a good guy. He, he's done so much for us, and so we need you to come and heal his servant, Jesus. This guy is worthy to have you heal his servant. He deserves this. He loves our nation. In fact, he built our synagogue. See, what they're doing is is they're looking at all the external things that this guy has done. They're saying, man, this guy's a patriot. He cares about our nation. But, But not only that, the church that we worship in, a nice church, like he built it. He did all of that for us. And so they're praising this guy for the kind of works which people think most of the time will get them into heaven. Right? The, 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 they have this much money and they give it to this charity, or they helped build this church or that church, or maybe they donated the chairs at the church or the tables at the church, or they volunteered in the soup kitchen, or they did all these wonderful things. I mean, wow, what a guy he is. And these elders presented their argument to Jesus because that's exactly what they were used to, wasn't it? I mean, the, the religious leaders, they, they, they judge their lives and they analyze their lives by externals. And we do the same thing all the time, don't we? I mean, a lot of times when we say, hey, this guy's a good guy or this guy's a good person, I mean, what are we talking about? We're saying, well, he's not as big a jerk as that guy, so yeah, he's a pretty good person. We so often look at the externals and we don't look at the heart. In the 17th century, people used to look at a lake or a pond or a glass of water and they judged whether that water was clean by whether they could see through it or not. Then one day there was an invention called the microscope. And in 1674, a man filled a glass vial full of water and looked at it under the lens, and he saw what he called little eels or worms lying all together huddled up. See, when we take the magnifying glass of God's Word and we see what it says about what's on the inside of us, we oftentimes find that we're not nearly as pretty as we try to make everybody think we are, don't we? Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? We talked about this last week in Isaiah 64, 6. It says that even our righteous deeds, our good things, are but filthy rags in front of God. That we're not near as good as we like to think we are, especially on the outside. Look at verse 6. And Jesus went with them, right? They they tell him he's got to go, so Jesus goes with them. And when he was not far from the house, then centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. See, I love this, that Jesus goes with them. And and check this, Jesus is not going with them because the man is good and deserves it. Jesus is going with them because Jesus is kind and compassionate and he cares about us and he's sensitive to our needs. Never forget that. Jesus is kind and compassionate. And he cares about us. He's sensitive to our needs. And I love what happens because as they're heading to the house, most likely the centurion is, has heard what these Jewish leaders have said. They, he found out that you know, they really laid it on thick when he went to Jesus. And I love what he does because he sends his friends to go back to Jesus and he says, Hey, I don't know what these guys told you about me. I don't know how thick they laid it on, but they lied. Okay, Jesus? They lied. I don't presume that my good deeds are worthy enough to have you come into my home. I'm not good enough to approach a man as worthy as you are, Jesus. That's why I didn't come to you in the first place. See, I love this because this man sees himself for who he really is. That he has a healthy realization of his own sins. We all need to see ourselves for who we really are. We need to take uh, into account our actions and our bad thoughts and the things that, that maybe people can't see about us on the outside, but they're there. See, like I said, we, we tend to look around at, at others and go, well, you know, I'm not as bad as they are. You know, I don't cuss as much as they do. Right? I don't drink as much as they do. I don't sleep around as much as they do. I don't gossip as much as they do. And, and on and on we, we could go with the things that we tend to do. And we love to look at the sins of others under a microscope but we fail to see the sickness in our own hearts a lot of times. Joe and I have been, been reading a lot of these short stories lately by, by a lady named Flannery O'Connor. Has anybody ever read any Flannery O'Connor? If I say that name, is it familiar? She, she was a southern writer in the 60s. And a lot of her um, short stories are dark. Is, is that a good way to say it? Uh, <laughs> she was a believer, uh, and a lot of her, sh- her, her short stories like, tended to focus on, on the dark parts of our hearts. And she has this one that I read this week called The Lame Shall Enter First, and it's about this man named Shepherd. Uh, and his name's intentional, right? Because he's not a Christian. He's, he's a very secular person, and, and he believes uh, that because of all the good things that he does, that he's somehow going to inherit heaven, uh, and so he volunteers at the YMCA, He does all these wonderful things for people, and while he's there, he sees this young man with a club foot named Rufus. And Rufus is very, very smart, but Rufus is a delinquent, and so he decides in his name Shepherd, that he's going to shepherd this young man, and he's going to save this young man, and he's going to bring this young man into his home, and this young man's going to become great, all because of Shepherd's good deeds. So Shepard brings this boy into his house, Rufus, and alongside his son, Norton, they begin to live life together. But as the story progresses, what you find out is that Rufus has no intention of changing. Rufus continues to get in trouble and break into homes and steal and rob and do all sorts of just vile things. And finally, one night, it all comes to a head, and they're at the dinner table. Rufus begins quoting scripture at Shepherd, and Shepard, who doesn't believe in all that nonsense, is like, how can a guy as smart as you, how can a kid as smart as you believe in all this junk that's found in the Bible? And as they're having this argument, you hear a on the door, the cops have come to take Rufus away because Rufus just can't stay out of trouble. And he and Shepard continue their fight, and what's great about it is as Rufus finally looks at Shepard and says, I know you don't believe all this, but listen, I'm going to get into heaven before you are. And the reason is, is because the lame will enter first. And what he was trying to get Shepherd to see is this, is that, yeah, I'm a delinquent, yeah, I'm a terrible person, but I believe all these things in the Bible and you don't. And so because I know who I am and I know the things I've done, I realize more than you do that I need a Savior because you think that what you're doing by trying to save me is what's going to get you into heaven. And he really cuts Shepard to the, to the heart because he says, you're more of a devil than I ever thought about being. Well, it kind of makes Shepard mad, right? Because he's like, well, no, I'm not. And so he goes in the house and he begins to think about it. And all of a sudden it dawns on him that, you know what? He's right. And Shepard realizes that, you know, all these months I've had this boy in my home, I've completely neglected my own son. I've ignored him. I've treated him horribly. And so starting from this moment on, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to love my boy. I'm going to take care of him. And this is where the story gets really dark, so he runs upstairs to tell his son, and his son has killed himself. See, O'Connor got it in that story, is that we're so often like Shepherd that we think, man, I, I do all these wonderful things, I'm such a good person, and we look down on everybody else, and we forget the need in our own hearts. And see, here's the good news, though, for us, is that although we are sinful and unworthy, Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And see, this passage in Luke chapter 7 shows us two components of the Christian faith, knowing who Christ is and knowing who we are. So first and foremost is we got to understand is do you know that you're a sinner? And if you do know that you're a sinner, do you know who Jesus is? See, that's what happens at the end of this story. Look at uh, verse 7 again. The backside of that, the, the, the centurion says, but, I say, but say the word, right? Jesus, say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go and he goes, and to another, Come and he comes, and to my servant, Do this and he doesn't. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, They found the servant well." So the centurion knows who he is, right? He gets it. I'm unworthy. I'm sinful. But then check this out. He also knows who Jesus is, doesn't he? He says, I'm unworthy to come to you because of who I am, but listen. Just say the word right there where you're at. You don't even have to come in the house, and my servant will be healed. Because, listen, I get it. I'm a man who is set under authority. I tell one person to go, and he goes. I tell another one to come here, and he comes here. I tell my servant to do this, and he does it. See, he understood that Jesus could heal from a distance, that, that he was powerful. And so what he realizes in this moment is not that Jesus was just a good man or a good teacher. He realizes in this moment that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And I love what happens. It says when Jesus hears these words, he marveled. It's only said twice in the Gospels that Jesus marveled at something. In Luke chapter four, Jesus marvels at the unbelief in his hometown. And right here in Luke chapter seven, he marvels or he's amazed at the faith of this man. And he's amazed because one, this man was not Jewish. So so this man had no clue about the one true God or the one that God was going to send or the God's covenant to heal the world. He didn't know anything about that. He's amazed because of this man's occupation. I mean, this man's a soldier in, in probably the most brutal army that has ever existed. This guy is a centurion. He's not a paper pusher, This is a man who has killed people, has executed people. He is a hard, tough man. He's amazed because this man has wealth. Now, having money doesn't mean you're close to Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. And so Jesus is amazed because usually rich people think that they've earned God's love because of their wealth or or they think that they don't need God's love because of their wealth. And so Jesus is amazed because of this man's certainty. And that's what faith is, isn't it? We read this at the beginning of service, is that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that are not seen. So it means that faith is this strong, confident expectation that God will do exactly what he said he would do. And this man gets it. He had faith that all Jesus had to do was say, be healed, and his servant would be healed. Do we have that kind of faith as believers? You know, I tell people all the time is that, do I believe that God could heal my children? Absolutely, I do. And do I pray for that? All the time. But listen, if he doesn't on this earth, I have an assurance that one day he will I have an assurance that one day when he returns, they will run to him and it will all be good, right? Do I think 2021 is going to be any better? I don't know. You know, I was reading stuff this week about all these predictions that all the experts are making about what's going to happen to the church in 2021 and all kinds of dire things. And and do I know if those things are going to happen? I don't know but I do have faith and assurance that God said he would not forget his church or that he would not abandon his church and that he will continue to build his church. And so I can rest in that knowing that he said he would do these things and he's gonna do it. See, this man knew that Jesus could heal and he had faith. And as a result, verse 10 says, they went home and they found the servant well. So for us today, Is I just ask you, like, where do you find yourselves in this text? Like, where do you find yourself as we get ready to to close the 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 book on twenty twenty? We begin to move into a new year. Do you see yourself as deserving of grace because you go to church? Do you see yourself as deserving of grace because maybe you're a little better than your friends or a little bit better than your neighbor? Do you have a tendency, as we all probably do, to look at Christians who say one thing and then do another and judge them saying, well, I'd never be as big a hypocrite as they are. God loves me more than that. See, if you don't see this reality, you must face the truth that that your heart is wicked and sinful and apart from the grace of Jesus, you'll never be saved. And so what I would tell you today is this, as we get ready to move into the new year, is that we need to repent of our self-righteousness. We need to repent of thinking that we've somehow earned God's love and realize that Jesus did all the work, that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, that Jesus died the death you deserved, and that Jesus gave his perfect life for you. And see, when you see that, as Tim Keller says, that kind of love will melt your heart and then we will spend our time not running around thinking we're better than others, but you'll run around having grace towards others because you realize the grace that was shown to you. And then maybe you're just in here and like so many people, you would say, well, Byron, I don't see myself as better than others. In fact, I know I'm a loser. I know I'm a low life. I know how sinful I am. And I struggle with the opposite thing of just going, well, how could God love me? How could God forgive me for my past or for my mistakes or all the things that I've done? Well, the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22 tells us this. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, this shows you that God loves us so much that, in spite of our sinfulness. He sent his son Jesus to reconcile us and to bring us back to God. And he didn't do it because you were awesome. He didn't do it because you deserved it. He did it because he loved us so much. He did it because he's faithful to what he said he would do, which is to make all things new. And so he sent Jesus to make peace by his blood. That on the cross, Jesus took your place. That all of your sins were laid upon him. That the punishment you deserved was given to Jesus. And that three days later, Jesus rose again, showing you the check he wrote on the cross, cleared the bank, and that now, if you have trusted in him, he no longer sees you. He no longer sees your mistakes or your mess-ups. Instead, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. And that's a promise that you can carry into 2021 with you. That no matter what you've done in 2020, there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's renewal as we move forward, found in Jesus Christ Alone. So, would you pray with me this morning, Father? I thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for this day, uh, Father. I thank you for your word and what it shows us. And I pray uh, that we can find ourselves in, in in this passage today. That we see um, that that Father, we all need uh, forgiveness. We all need you. Um, more than we realize, Father. So whether we're in here and, and we think that we've somehow earned your love because of our good deeds, that, 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 that Father, you would show us how wrong and sinful that is and that, that, that the only reason we're saved is because of Jesus. Maybe we're in here and we're in the opposite and we just don't think that God could ever love us, but that because of Jesus and because of what he's done for us, we see that God does love us and he cares for us more than we could possibly imagine. And that today, Father, the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us would melt our heart and that we would see now that we have standing before God, that we can stand before the throne of God, not because of what we've done or who we are, but because of Jesus. I pray that we would take that with us today as we leave and take that with us into 2021. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would please stand.